Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Continue a two-part, it's not really a series, I would say it's a message, a two-part message that we started last weekend. And uh, we're calling it the Compassion of Christmas and God shows his compassion to us. You got some good Christmas plans coming up this week? I hope you do. And Christmas time is a time where we celebrate the fact that Jesus came and he gave us peace. He gave us peace with God. And and that means we can have peace with him. We talked about that last week. We went through Luke chapter 2. And uh, chapter 2, 14 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. We're celebrating the good news of Jesus as Christmas uh, season comes around. That will be for all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he's pleased. And we can have peace because of all Jesus has done for us. In a minute, we're going to go through, um, we're going to divert from the Christmas story a little bit as we continue this um, two-part series. Uh, and we're going to go through Matthew chapter 18. So if you want to read, uh, pull out your Bible or something on your phone that has the Bible on it, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to go 15, mostly 15 through 35 this morning. So a little bit of a longer text. Um, yeah, grab it, grab your Bible if you have it, grab your phone if you have it, pull that up. Um, but because of Jesus, we can have peace with God. God sent his son to save us. He's a God of compassion and, uh, God's response to us, uh, response to the, the mess we make in our lives is that he um, is compassionate. And compassion is more than a feeling, it's an action. And the action God took is he sent his son out of compassion for us and he gave, his, he gave us new life. And we're born again because of all he's done, because of what Jesus has done. He's made a way, God made a way for us to be at peace with him and that way was Jesus. And peace often doesn't happen in our lives because of what's going on between us and other people in our lives. Have you ever noticed that? Um, maybe you might have a, a, a Christmas a function that you're not looking forward to coming up because there's someone at it that you're not at peace with. Now you know what I'm talking about? Um, and, and whoever that might be in your life, a family, friend, or, or, or family. Uh, it's, uh, it's just part of, of what happens in our humanity and our imperfection that we have things that come up between ourselves and other people. And luckily enough, Jesus gave us instructions on how to deal with those things. And, 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 and if we don't do that, um, we, what, what happens is Jesus gave us this new life to live in, but we're, we're stuck in an old life because we're not living in the ways of Jesus. And we don't have peace because we haven't embraced his plan and his purpose for our lives. And so we're going to dig into this in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to go from NIV, Matthew chapter 18. We'll start at 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every manner may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is Jesus talking. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would, a pagan, or tax collector. Let's jump down to 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. But the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told the master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each one of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Jesus uses the word wicked here. And the word wicked, we would associate with like the cardinal sins, right? Like the big ones, like wicked people are like a thief or a murderer, you know, or somebody like that, like that's wicked. But Jesus is showing us how he truly thinks of unforgiveness, that is wicked, that it angers God, that it's not some, you know, small thing in our lives. And he said something like this earlier in Matthew chapter six as well. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father in heaven will not forgive yours. And so it sounds like Jesus is almost, it almost sounds like Jesus is saying that our forgiveness is conditional, that there's a condition on it. And the only way you can get it is if, you know, you follow these certain uh, rules. But he's not saying forgiveness is conditional because if it was conditional, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come at all. He wouldn't have to pay for our sins. We could just follow a set of rules. And as long as we did the rules, we'd get to heaven. But he's not saying that. If he was, there wouldn't be a Christmas to celebrate. And the reason I say that is there's plenty of contrasting scripture to prove the point that Jesus isn't saying the forgiveness of our sin is conditional. What he's saying is, if you don't forgive, it's a sign you never really opened your heart to me in the first place. He's saying, if you don't forgive people, then you don't actually really know me because you don't understand the magnitude of what I've done for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and he paid for that sin sin for us. He, He took that death for us. If you don't forgive, you're not walking in close fellowship with God like you think you are. If you don't forgive, you don't understand what he's done. Therefore, you don't really know him. And in Matthew chapter seven, verse after that, um, he says, you'll know them by their fruit. In other words, uh, the fruit of someone, someone's life, what's, what's happening on the outside, their fruit, uh, reveals what's going on on the inside. You'll know them by their fruit. Uh, the health 
of the tree is seen in the fruit. And if there's no fruit, you know that that tree is not healthy on the inside. If you refuse to forgive, it's fruit that you don't really know. Here's another supporting scripture to this. Mark chapter 11, 25. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. If you don't forgive, it's a sign of what's really going on in your life. A sign that though you might listen to the teachings of Jesus and worship him, you don't really know him. We cannot walk in true fellowship with God unless we're able to forgive. And something that I've seen happen, and maybe the, this uh, Mark chapter 11, 25 being proven over years, is that you'll be in a, a situation where, uh, as a pastor, I get the privilege of praying for people sometimes. And so maybe it's at our youth camp and we're praying for just the presence of the Holy Spirit to impact someone, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, or maybe it's at our first Wednesday or somebody just asked me to pray for them. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will bring to mind um, just the, some, something that's happening in their life as you're praying for them. He, he doesn't tell you exactly, uh, but he, he sort of gives you an idea and he, he starts to say, well, you know, ask them a, a, about maybe uh, something in their past or a relationship they had uh, with someone or just start to ask about situations. And what, what happens is, is you're praying for the Holy Spirit to come and that person is not experiencing something. It doesn't seem real to them yet. And then when the Holy Spirit prompts you, you start to ask them and talk to them about situations that happened in their life. And all of a sudden you'll realize, they'll start to reveal that there's some unforgiveness in their heart. And what happens is as that comes up in the prayer process and you pray for that person, all of a sudden the tangible presence of God falls in that moment. And they, they, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit. They have an experience with God. And it's like, okay, now you know. And what was happening was that the unforgiveness was getting in the way between them and God. They weren't able to know God because of, they were holding this unforgiveness in between themselves and God. And so how do we know if we're being like this wicked servant, running around completely forgiven, but not acting like it? Well, are you trying to make someone feel the same way that they made you feel? trying to get them to pay the debt that they owe you, like that wicked servant. Maybe they made you feel belittled or small or hurt or rejected or unwanted or isolated. And what do we do? We're like that wicked servant. Now we're choking them. We're like, you owe me this debt and now I'll pay it back. How do we do that? We cut them down to other people. We maybe give them the silent treatment. It's like, ignore them. Maybe intentionally excluding them from plans we're making or pretending not to see them because that's the way they made you feel. Made you feel like you weren't seen. They made you feel rejected. And now you want to repay that the same way that they paid it to you. I read this study recently that... Um, for whatever reason, really impacted me and stuck with me. And the study was on social rejection, on excluding people, on, um, you know, how it makes people feel um, when we sort of make them feel like an outsider in whatever different ways. And as they, they studied people who had felt this way and studied the impacts of it, um, what they found was that social rejection can be so painful that the signs of it 
actually show up like brain damage on a brain. That they, they can be paralleled, that social rejection and, and brain damage have this sort of similar look to them. That you can be so rejected, you can go through so much pain that it actually might seem like you have brain damage. We're social beings. And so no wonder this hurts so bad. And when we feel that way, when we feel that rejection, we want others to feel the same pain that they've made us feel. And this is exactly how unforgiveness works. Like the wicked servant running around demanding repayment. They've given us pain and we want them to receive pain. They have stabbed us with their words and now we want to stab them back with our words. But does that really fix how we feel inside? Does that, does that really, you know, fix what's going on inside of us? Though it might feel good at times for a moment, it actually makes us worse. It makes us darker. And we push ourselves from God. And if you don't forgive, you won't be able to live in peace because the unforgiveness that gets in our heart angers God. And we actually push God away from us. So, what do we do? What do we do about this, this mess? What do we do about this wicked servant? How do uh, we sort of respond? And how do we make ourselves to not be like this wicked servant? Well, Jesus, uh, he gives us a very clear three-step process right in this parable. He puts it all in one line in verse 27. He says, um, and you know, it, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it means you want to be like Jesus. And so we, we want to be just like Jesus. And, and Jesus gives us a perfect outline from the master here. He says, the servant's master, what? Took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He took pity on him, he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Took pity. Took pity can be loosely translated to, uh, like the, the English term would be like, um, to, for your heart to go out to someone. Your heart goes out to him. And that's what Jesus did for us. His heart went out to us. And the master's heart went out to the servant. You know that in the Bible, there's this um, paper that was put together by this university student that did this study um, that Jesus wept 10 times for every one time that he laughed. His heart goes out to us. His heart, for every one time that Jesus was recorded laughing, there's 10 times that he's weeping or his heart is going out. He's showing mercy. He's, he's showing uh, uh, that he, his heart goes out to a person. He sees what they're going through. He was a man of sorrows. And so, when people have done you wrong, what do we got to do? Identify with them. Take pity on them. Put yourself in their shoes. Feel what they feel. Remind yourself of how much you have in common. And what, here's what your heart will naturally do. Your heart will say, oh, you're so much better than them. Your heart will say, oh, you, you're, you're just so great. You would never do that. You're so different from them. We excuse ourselves when we do something wrong, but we label people when they do something wrong, don't we? We say, I would never do that. So if you catch somebody lying to you, what do you do? You're hurt by this lie. And so what are they? They're a liar, right? It's like, oh, you, you, you did this to me. You are an absolute liar. But what about when you lie? What do you say? Do you, when you lie, are you like, I am such a liar. 
Ah, I'm such a terrible person. What a nasty person I am. No, when you lie, it was like, well, it's complicated. (laughs) I had my reasons, okay? You just had to be there. I'm not a liar. I just needed it in this moment. And this is what unforgiveness does. We take self-pity. It makes us self-righteous. Our heart doesn't go out because we don't identify with people. Like the servant, they owe us. It's like a feeling of power. They stole from us and, and our unforgiveness is a way of, of forcing them to pay it back to us. You, you stole from me and now I'm going to get it back through my unforgiveness. And when you f- refuse to forgive, it makes you so self-righteous, so self-pitying and so self-centered. And the self-centeredness grows when you stay angry and hold debt against them. You think they owe you. Jesus says, the master's heart went out to the servant. The master's heart went out to the servant. Just like his heart goes out to us. The master's heart went out to the servant. He put himself in the servant's shoes. And you have to do the same for others. You have to put them yourself in their shoes. Your heart must go out to them. You must take pity on them. So he says, take pity on them. Second thing he says, the master does, forgive the debt. Cancel the debt. The detail that we can't miss in the story is the magnitude of the servant's debt, the wicked servant, the the magnitude of it. In the ESV, it talks a little bit more about this. I read from the NIV, so it didn't describe it perfectly, but in the, in the ESV, um, Jesus is using the largest Greek unit mixed with the highest currency at the time. He's, he's saying 10,000 talents. And one denarii's wage, sorry, one denarii was a day's wage. And so, and then one talent was about five to 10,000 denarii. Are you following me here? So he owed 10,000 talents. Over this servant's lifetime, he could have maybe made one to two talents in his whole life. And his debt was so large, he would never be able to pay 10,000 talents. We're talking, in today's money, we're talking billions of dollars. Jesus is trying to make a statement to us here, right? Jesus is trying to show us something through this. He's saying he would never be able to pay it back. Just like us. The wages in his death, we would never be able to pay back what we owe. And, and the, the, that's the funny thing about this. We're chasing people around saying, you owe me this, but they're never going to be able to pay it back. And so we just get stuck in this loop. And the master paid for itself, and that's what forgiveness is. See, one of us has to pay. There's going to be a loss. It's either from you or me. One of us has to pay. When people do you wrong, there's a debt, and you want them to pay. That's what gossip is, right? That's why we slander. We're making them pay just a little bit. And, and we, we sort of mask it in like different ways. Like we call it venting, you know? It's just like a more Christian way of, of you know, it's kind of covering it that way. I just, I just need to get it off my chest. That's what we do. Or we say, you know, I saw you out for brunch with this person. I just want to give you a heads up about them. Just want to give you a heads up because I care about you, right? You're making them pay. But it makes you darker. If you make them pay, Jesus says, you don't really know me. And you certainly don't know what I've done for you. 
So how do we cancel the debt? How do we cancel the debt? How do we forgive them? But when you want to make them pay, you don't. When you, when you want to gossip about that person, you, you stop yourself. When you want to give that person the cold shoulder, when you want to exclude them, you don't. You cut it off. You say, no, I'm not making them pay anymore. I pay. And as you do that, this cuts off the flow to the self-centeredness and the self-pity and the self-righteousness. We stop feeding it. And forgiveness is actually a form of suffering. It's us paying for it. But it softens your heart. I have a relationship with someone or some people. And these people, here's the thing. I did something wrong, okay? I, I took something from them. And these people, they keep reminding me what I owe them. They keep coming after me. They keep reminding me of the debt that I owe them. It's my mortgage company. I took something from them. It hurt them. And you know what they do? Every couple of weeks, they remind me of what I've done wrong. They keep forcing me to pay it back. They have not forgiven me. And here's the thing. Not only that, they go to extensive lengths in this. They've actually hired people to, to you know, check up on me to watch my account. They send me letters all the time. They even set me up with this online thing saying, you can log in whenever you want and you, we'll show you how much you owe us. <laughs> you know what would be easier for them? You know what would be so much easier? <laughs> if they just forgave me. <laughs> and they say, you know what? We're sick of chasing you around. You keep changing your banking info and <laughs> we've had enough. But that would cost them greatly. And if they forgave me, what would happen to that money that I took from them? It wouldn't just, it wouldn't just vanish, right? The forgiveness isn't just, oh, it, it, just, it just goes away. It just, poof, it's gone. No, they would absorb it it would cost them something. And the same thing happens with you. And the thing about forgiveness is that we often say, I'm just waiting until I feel like it, until I'm ready. But you gotta do it before you feel like it. Because if you wait to feel it before you do it, you're never gonna feel like it. And forgiveness costs something. It costs you something. How do we forgive? We choose you can choose to make them pay it back or you can pay for it. Just like that servant, he could not repay. As a gift you can give yourself. Forgiveness. The forgiveness of someone else, it brings peace to us. And what I love about forgiveness is as we forgive people, as we process this, as we you know, chase after it and force ourselves to cut off the flow to the self-centeredness and to the self-pity, it's actually making us more like Jesus. It's an act of discipleship. It's an act of going deeper with him, of saying, okay, God, maybe now I understand a fraction more 
of your love for me. And so we show pity, we cancel the debt, and we let them go. When my son was maybe a couple years old, he was about two years old, um, we had him in daycare. Now, uh, any like new parents, any first-time parents or people with one kid here? Okay, a few people in the room. Um, here's the thing about your first child is uh, you're always on like high alert, okay? And just so you know, all the other parents, they know it's your first kid. They can just tell by you how you're acting. Um, and, and so when, I, when, I had our, when we had our first uh, child, man, I was on high alert. And what happens as you have more children is, is you're just more chill and more chill. And you're just like, oh yeah, and one's hanging out a window, whatever, it's all good. Like, but, but in that first one, you're like on high alert. You're extra sensitive. You're like, I don't want to mess this up. And it's good, it's good. And what you realize is it takes a lot to mess it up. But it, that's another story. But it, it's, you're on this really high alert. And so what happened when my son was a couple of years old is he was in daycare. And again, I'm, I'm extra sensitive. I'm, I'm, I'm on high alert. He's our only child. And he had this beautiful flowy hair. He had this nice, long, flowy hair. I loved his hair. I just living vicariously through this kid's hair. I was like, oh, I love this hair. And uh, he was in daycare. And I, pick up, I pick him up from daycare one day. And man, I, I'm telling you, I loved his hair. My dad was like, you got to cut this kid's hair. And I'm just like, I just love it, dad. I can't do it. I love it. And I pick him up from daycare one day. I pack him into the car. And as I'm putting his seatbelt on, look at him, and I'm like, something looks different from when I dropped him off. And I look at him closely, and I realize these people, while he was in daycare today, they cut his hair right across the front and gave him, like, straight bangs across the front of his hair. And I was so angry. I was so angry. I, uh, I was livid. I, I stormed back inside. And uh, I just went straight to the owner and I was like, what happened today? She was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, his hair is cut across the front. What did you do? And she's like, we would never cut a child's hair. Like, no, that's not, we didn't do that. I said, yes, you did. His hair is cut across the front. Who was watching him today? And she goes, oh, it was this teacher. I'm like, go and talk to the teacher. She cut his hair. So I stood in the front. I was angry. I was very sensitive about my son's hair. I wanted to be there, obviously, for his first haircut. And uh, I wasn't. And they stole this moment from me. And I was angry. And she goes to the back. She comes out like white as a ghost. And she's like, they cut his hair. He couldn't see. He was brushing it aside. And they cut his hair. Oh, I just, I, I, I was so angry. I didn't say anything to her. I just turned around. I walked to the car drove home. And that night I just began in my plan. I'm like, <laughs> I am going to make them pay for this. I'm like, I, I was so petty. I was like, I'm going lawsuit, baby. I'm going that. <laughs> then I'll attack them on social media. No, I'm going through all, then I will pick at them. I'll stand out front and I'll protest that daycare until I shut that thing down. Like I was so angry, so petty. But as I went through the night, started putting myself in their shoes. They have all these kids. Kid keeps brushing his hair with five. They thought they were doing something compassionate. They, they didn't understand their actions. They didn't understand how I would take it. Put myself in their shoes. 
I forgave the debt. So I paid for it. Or Bricks actually paid for it, my son. Um, and then I let them go. But I held them accountable. And I, I went back the next day and said, you cannot do that to people. You cannot just cut kids' hair whenever you want. Like, this is something the parent needs to be involved in. I, I held them accountable. But here's the deal. As I sort of processed this, what I was realizing is that nothing that I would say or do to these people would put that hair back on his head. The hair was cut. They could not repay that debt that they owed. No, no amount of money, no amount of anger from me, no amount of, you know, cutting them off or whatever would put that hair back on his head. And this is the reality for people in our lives. People cannot pay you back like the servant. And we need to let them go. But here's what we get stuck on. We think, if I let this person go, they're just going to go hurt somebody else. And somebody needs to stop this nonsense. Somebody needs to stop them. I can't let them go. They're going to go and hurt somebody else. And sometimes that's right. And that's why, that's why we started with Matthew chapter 18, 15. Because Jesus gives us a formula right before this story on what to do with people. In Matthew chapter 18, 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, you use brother or sister, he's talking about people in the church. He's talking about believers. He's saying, go to them. What do we do? We go to other people. We want to make them pay. Ah, you tell everybody. He's saying, go to them. Tell the person who can do something about it. Tell the person who's done wrong. Go to them. Tell them what they did. And if they, they won't listen, if they're unrepentant, go and grab one or two other people. Bring in a mediator. Let's work out this thing together. That's what we're here for. We're a community together to work this out. Bring them into that. If they still won't change, go to the church. Whatever that looks like, go to leadership in the church. People you trust, leaders, tell them. And if, if they still won't apologize, if they're still unrepentant, if they still won't own it, what does Jesus tell us to do? Treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. Now, the irony of this is that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and pagans. And so he, he might not be saying to shut them off completely because we still want to reach them. But he's saying if they, they aren't repentant, then they don't actually understand what I've done for them. It hasn't become real for them. They're not a part of the family. They don't fully believe in me if, if that's the case. If they won't act in humility, then you know they don't actually realize what Jesus has done for them. And the church's job is to help them realize that maybe they're not really a follower of Jesus unless they can forgive. But there's another side to this. Sometimes people won't listen to us because we haven't forgiven them yet. See, if you go seeking vengeance in that moment where you confront them, you won't get anywhere. This is why Jesus tells us to forgive. You need to forgive first, then seek justice. Because our confrontation is for restoration, not condemnation. 
It's not to slander people. It's not to tear them down or make them feel how we feel. It's to go, we want to restore you back to the life and the person and the purpose that God has for you. We want vengeance, but God says, vengeance is mine. And either we trust him or we don't. But we're not qualified to have that confrontational moment until we've forgiven And I know that sometimes we're frustrated by this and this whole process. It's like, ah, this doesn't make much sense. And we want to scream. We want to scream at the person. And I believe that God is like, how about you try screaming at me? Because I can actually do something about it. Do you know that some of the moments that I've spent screaming at God are some of the times where I've felt his presence more tangibly than ever before. That God is not a God just for the joyous moments, but he's a man of sorrows and he wants to bring his presence into the midst of your problem. He wants to be with you. And the funny thing is that we, we try and find peace in our own ways. Like, we'll, we'll be like, I'm going to the mountains. I'm going to get away from it all. I'm going to go have this spa day. And God's plan, and, and those things are great. Please do those, those things. Those are, those are great. But understand that oftentimes they're going to still leave you empty because you're looking for something else. And God's plan for your life is not that you build a life that you want to escape from. Christmas time is a time to remember that Jesus came to help us escape from the prison of unforgiveness that we've made for ourselves so that we could live in peace. And the peace of Jesus, the peace that we're promised is directly tied to our forgiveness of others and his forgiveness of us. There's no better way to prove that you follow Jesus and whether or not you forgive. You're gonna need to... uh, Stop needing people to pay you back in order to live in peace. It always costs something and we want them, we want them to pay, but it has to cost us something. Instead, we pay and it brings us closer to Jesus. Would you stand with me? You could just close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, come. God, we welcome your presence. Bring to mind what you want to do in us right now, Lord. You might be thinking today that maybe you didn't need this message. I think that one thing is for sure is that if you don't need it for a situation right now, you will need it for one coming up. Let's stop trying to get him to pay you back. Stop trying to get her to pay you back got to put yourself in their shoes. Understand where they're coming from. Cancel the debt and let them go. If you're in the room today and you're in a place where you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart for you to 
Turn your life over to him, whether you've done that before, you drifted away, or you're doing it for the first time. Just want to pray a prayer, give you the opportunity to pray a prayer for you, that you believe in your heart, he's Lord, and today you can confess with your mouth and accept his forgiveness for your life. I'm going to ask everybody who is a believer in the room to repeat after me with these people because we agree with you. We stand with you today as you pray this prayer, whether you're in the room or online. Go ahead and repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, living a perfect life, and dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you are my Lord and God raised you from the dead. From now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's put our hands together for what God's done here today. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.